So good morning, Hillcrest Chapel. Um, my name is Kelly, and I am on staff with UCM or CCF. It's Hillcrest's college ministry arm, um, and I particularly focus on the mission field at Western. Um, so that's who I am. And I, before I jump into the sermon, I just have to say that it is such a privilege and an honor to be a part of this community. Like you have no idea the impact that you have as a as a community on the campus. There's so much that goes on there that um, maybe you guys don't see. Maybe you see some of it um, from the students that do attend here. Um, maybe you hear stories, but there is so much happening on campus um, because of you, because of your faithfulness and supporting our ministry. Um, and because of your prayers and the, the different ways that you get involved. And it's so fun because it's not often that missionaries get to also be a part of the, the main supporting community um, that supports their mission field. So it's so fun um, for all of us at UCM to get to be actually a part of the community that's our, our biggest fans, our biggest supporters and prayer warriors um, for, for our mission field. So thank you. You should be very encouraged and, yeah, and proud of yourselves. I know that the Lord is pleased. Um, so let me pray, and then we'll jump into our, our sermon today. Lord, thank you um, for this morning. Lord, I'm thankful for a little bit more cloudy days. Um, Lord, and I just pray, too, that this morning we would be able to, to listen to you with open ears and open hearts to hear what, what you would be speaking through your word and what you would have to say to us individually and as a community. Amen. So we have been in a series um, for a while now called Praxis, and that's the process in which an idea is enacted, embodied, or realized. And we've been marching through for a while now the book of Acts um, and kind of tracking with the early believers as they bring the good news of Jesus to, to Judea, their local area, to Samaria, and then broader to the ends of the earth. Um, and last week, Tim left us off in Philippi um, in Acts chapter 16. And we saw, um, Tim showed us how Paul and his buddies are on their second missionary journey into the region. Um, and they kind of had a series of closed doors, closed doors, closed doors. And finally, when they were in Philippi, they were like, this is where God wants us to be. Um, but even there, they kind of ran into some, some discouragement. And Paul was, they were thrown in prison. Um, but then at the same time, God was up to good things, and they were released from prison, and, and a few people came to know the Lord. Um, so then if you continue, if you're following along and reading on your own, if you continue reading in Acts chapter 17, um, we see that Paul and his buddies, they like travel a little south to Thessalonica. And there they start, they're like preaching in the synagogues and discussing with people. And um, scripture says that quite a few people, um, both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, so um, non-Jews who believed in God and who were at the synagogues, and then also quite a few women, they were coming to know know who God is. So it seems like after all of their hardship and all these other areas, they're kind of finally seeing some success in, the, in their ministry or what, what outsiders would look at as success in their ministry. Um, but then there's like a group of Jews that are jealous of their success. And so they like get together this mob of bad characters. Um, and I always laugh at that part in scripture. I'm like, who are these bad characters? 
Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen Disney's Tangled, the Rapunzel story, but that's what I picture, like that group of guys that are like in the tavern. I, <laughs> I picture that as like this mob of bad characters. And they like rile everyone up and they try to like run Paul and his buddies out of town. Um, so in the night, Paul and his friends, they like sneak off to Berea, um, just a little further south. And in Berea, there's all these people that are excited to study scripture and um, question what Paul, Paul is saying. And they look up scripture themselves. And um, it's kind of, an, again, a, another fruitful time. But then the guys that started this mob of bad characters, they hear about it. And they like go down to Berea to cause some more trouble. Um, so Paul's kind of on the run from this mob of bad characters, it seems. Um, and in the night, he is sent to Athens. And he's sent there alone. And he's kind of there by himself and waiting for his buddies to join him in, in a little while. Um, so that's where we're going to be today. We are in Athens. And like I said, Paul's alone, just waiting for his buddies, probably hoping that they're okay and hoping that, um, that they're safe. And he's probably at this point thinking like, okay, now what? Lord, you've kind of, we've been running all over the place. Like, now what? What's next? Um, and I don't know about you, but sometimes we can, when I read these missionary journeys in Acts, I'm like, what? Prison? Like, getting run out of town? A mob of bad characters? Um, and having to sneak off into the night? And that might actually be true of some Christians' experience in the world. But it's not true of mine. I've never had a mob of bad characters trying to run me off of campus. Um, and so sometimes it's kind of hard to, to relate to what's going, what's going on in these missionary journeys. I know Tim and others do a, a great job of relating it to our experience. But sometimes reading on our own, it's still kind of, kind of hard. Um, but then I get to Paul in Athens. And I think, okay. He is speaking my language here. I can relate to this. He's speaking my experience and our experience. And I think this because I think that the culture in Athens is not unlike our culture here in Bellingham. And I want to show you what I mean. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Acts 17. Uh, 16 through 21 is where we'll first focus, but it'll be on the screen as well. And I'll um, read it and then kind of pause to make some parallels from the Athenian culture to our culture here in Bellingham. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Um, so this, just that statement, the city was full of idols. The city, Athens, had a level of spirituality with idols erected all over the city, worshiping all kinds of gods. There's all sorts of temples there. Um, and there's also statues all over, just like this one um, with Hermes, God Hermes' head on top. Um, temples and idols all over the place. They're very, very spiritual people. And later in the chapter, we'll see that they even have a statue to an unknown god, kind of as a way of covering all their bases. So like, if we accidentally do something and it, it angers one god, but we don't know who that god is, we'll make this statue to an unknown god to to just cover our bases and, and we'll, we'll appease all the gods and be covered. Um, so in that way, they're like very spiritual, very aware of a world beyond them. 
Um, and I think that's very similar to our town. There, there's a level of spiritual curiosity. Um, and you can just see that when you walk through different neighborhoods and see like prayer flags and um, all that all over. And we don't often think of it in the same way, but I do think that our city is marked um, by idols all around. Idols of just various created things that are placed in a higher value above God. Um, we see idols of money or pleasure in people's lives. We also see idols of, of beauty or status. Um, but also, I think a huge one in our town is the idol of worshiping Mother Nature. Um, we live in such a beautiful place where we can, we can really enjoy God's creation, but sometimes that's so skewed and creation um, becomes ab above the God in himself who, cre who created it. Um, and I sometimes when I see, if you've ever been to Boulevard or any park that has like, has like ocean rocks or river rocks, any of the parks around town, you'll see those like stacked rock sculptures. Um, and sometimes they're just for art's sake or like relaxation's sake and stacking rocks. Or, um, and they're, they're pretty to look at. But I also, to me, that kind of stands as these little kind of serves to remind me how much our city really does worship Mother Nature and has these little little stone statues all over, kind of an ode, ode to, to Goddess Earth. Um, so, so I really do see that, that, that Athens is very similar to our city here in Bellingham. Um, so back to verse 17. So he, he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. And those are the, the non-Jews who believe in God. Um, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, and those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with them, with him. And so just a quick aside, Athens is kind of this philosophical center. Um, it's not as powerful as it once was, because right now we're in the, in the Roman Empire, so it's not the Greek Empire anymore, but it's still um, an influential center for thought and philosophy. Um, the Epicureans, they, their goal in life was physical pleasure, the absence of pain, um, physical or emotional. And they saw the gods as very distant. But then the Stoics, they opposed pleasure. And they, their big thing was like morality and self-control. Um, and so you could see these two groups kind of opposing each other. So debates and dialogue was was a commonplace thing in Athens. Um, and so in that way, I think of it as not dissimilar at all to a university environment, the center of philosophical thought and ideas being thrown around. Um, so some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. Um, the Areopagus is also known as Mars Hill. That's another name for it. And it was a hill, a nearby place where people gather, but also there was a council of the educated elite of the city. And they would kind of serve as a judicial body in the city, um, but a lot of the commenta commentators said that it was kind of similar to like an accredited board that tested lecturers. 
Um, so in, in essence, this council and this place is kind of the final stop of deciding what is taught in Athens and what, um, what's kind of allowed to be on the table of discussion. Um, so there's a picture of it, the, of Mars Hill, the Areopagus. Um, and then I put up there a picture of our own Mars Hill in our town, um, kind of where the, the center of thought um, and, and what, what is then being infiltrated down into our school systems and, and all of that. So there they said to him, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about ideas um, or talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And at that part, I always laugh because I was a lit major at Western, and I always think, sounds just like the humanities and social science departments at Western. <laughs> I, yeah, four years just talking about ideas. Um, so at the Areopagus, Paul's audience is a group of educated, philosophical pagans with little connection to the synagogue. And I just think that sounds so much like our town. Um, it sounds like Western. It sounds like Bellingham. Um, and I wanted to draw, draw that parallels out because so often here at Hillcrest and um, at CCF at UCM, we talk a lot about being on mission where we're at. And we do support missionaries all over the world, but we also talk about um, being on mission here in our workplaces, in our families, and I think that, that most of us get excited about that vision and get, yes, I can be on board with that, and I have a desire to do that. But then we get to the next step of like, well, how do I do that? I don't know where to begin. I don't know the first step. Um, so I want to look at a few things that Paul does so that we can learn how we actually do that. Um, so if we are going to see ourselves as missionaries here, um, we can take our cues from Paul in Athens. And first, I want to draw our attention to the fact that missionaries are distressed by what they see. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So Paul had an actual reaction to what he saw. He was distressed and disturbed by seeing all the idols and seeing people hungry for God, reaching for a world beyond them, but kind of essentially they were, they were like groping around in the dark with their eyes closed, just missing the mark and not really sure of what they were looking for. Um, and so before we can be missionaries here, we have to first ask ourselves, am I distressed by what I see? What is your reaction when you see somebody grasping for something beyond them but totally missing the mark and unaware of, of the God, the creator of the universe, the God who loves them? Um, do you get annoyed? Or are you like, ooh, that's rough. I hope they get that figured out at some point. And you move on. Like, are you actually distressed by the, by the plight of the lost? And does it actually bother us to a point where we just can't let it go, where we can't not do something or say something? Am I distressed by what I see? If we aren't at that place, then our first job is prayer. Our first, our first step is just to pray and ask the Lord um, the Lord of all peoples, to give us a heart for his people. 
and to give us a heart that is disturbed by the things that we see in our culture at times. Some things are good, but other things, um, I, I always pray, Lord, would you disturb my heart for the things that our culture just freely accepts that are actually grievous to your heart? So am I distressed by what I see? Second, missionaries engage with culture. They are not in a bubble away from it, but they actually engage with it. We see this in the speech that Paul gives. Um, and I'm going to read it and then highlight a few things. But as I read it, I want you to think, what, where are the areas that Paul actually really does connect with their culture, either affirming it or using it um, to bring his message? So he says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So in his speech, Paul makes it clear that he is familiar, he's aware of their culture, and he's, he's speaking their language. First, Paul noticed things about their world. It says in verse 23 that he looked carefully. So he first observed and noticed the things in their culture. And he saw that the statue of the unknown God, he saw that and, and saw his opportunity there. And he even affirmed their religiosity. He didn't affirm the way it manifested, but he affirmed that you are religious people, like you have this desire, but let me just tell you the truth in that. Um, and so Paul doesn't conform to the culture, but he completely speaks their language so that they, so that they can listen. And he uses their literature. He says, some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He knows he's talking to a group of educated philosophers, so he uses the things that he knows that they are reading um, and speaks into their schools of thought. If Paul was way, way off base, they wouldn't even give him the platform to speak. Um, and this model of Paul like, knowing and connecting with his audience, this is one that we use all the time up on campus. Um, and that we train our students to do on campus and when they go on spring break missions trips. So we know that at the university, people are asking questions of like, what's my purpose and therefore what should my major be? 
um, or what, what is my plan for life or what's the bigger meaning of life? And so it's not weird for us because we know students are already asking those questions. It's not weird for us to go up to them and start a conversation about that, especially because they're doing nothing but talking about ideas and discussing. So there's this prime opportunity for us to, to do that. Um, but at your school, in your neighborhood, at your place of work, what are the questions that people are asking? What are they hungry for? What are they passionate about? And what are areas of their spiritual search that you can affirm? Maybe your common ground touch point with someone is their care for their family. Maybe they don't know God, but they care deeply for their family. And you can see that as a, as a kingdom of God value. And, and there, there's like a, a beginning, a common ground touch point to then come alongside them and, and together um, dialogue about how to raise your children well, how to love your family even better. Um, or someone who really cares about the earth. Care for creation can be such a common ground touch point, especially here in our city. Um, or someone at work that really is passionate about a specific social justice issue, and you see that as a kingdom value, using that as your common, common ground to then build from there and build a platform for the gospel from there. So we have to ask, what are the touch points of truth that I can use to build common ground with those around me? What is the culture around you? What is the language they speak? What are the touch points of truth that they believe, that you can affirm that bit of truth, but then color in the bigger picture for them? Missionaries are distressed by what they see, and missionaries engage with culture. And missionaries also speak the truth. Paul doesn't just leave it at the observations he's made and those common touch points and say, yeah, you guys are spiritual people, you're trying to search for God, good job, and then walks away. He doesn't just leave it at that. He reasons with him and with them in the marketplace. And he, give, he actually speaks. He speaks out the truth um, when he's at the Areopagus. He meets them where they're at, spiritually, culturally, and then speaks the good news of the gospel into that. The good news that God is so much bigger than anything we can make with our own hands. So much bigger than the finances we try to store up. Or bigger than that degree or that GPA that we're shooting for. And so much bigger than our biggest fears and worries about our families and our futures. He is supreme over all of that. Over all of the idols that we have here. Just as much as he was supreme over all of the idols in Athens. And Paul speaks the good news that he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He gives good things and is the bringer of life and life at its fullest. In him, we live and move and have our being. We have full life. He also speaks the good news that relationship with God is attainable. It's possible. He's not just some far-off deity that hopefully we please enough that we won't go to hell someday. Verse 27 says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. 
He is not far. He wants us to find him. He wants the people of Bellingham to find him. Um, we maybe just have to help others to, to reach, reach out a little bit in order to, to grasp him. And what Paul says here is good, good news. It's a life-giving, freeing message. Good news for the Athenians and good news for us and everyone around us. But it's also not without response or responsibility or sometimes hard truths. He doesn't speak a half-truth and just just say the the good things that people can then add to their spiritual buffet. Um, But he actually draws them to repentance and uses their own language even to show them where they are missing the mark. Life in the full with God requires a response a turning from the old life and embracing the new. And that is a really hard truth to speak at times, and we can get scared in speaking it. But it's so necessary, because if we don't, then what's the alternative? People could never fully enter into that full life with the Lord. There's a common quote thrown around in Christian circles. I hear it a lot. Um, Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. And I agree that sometimes it's very needed to just let our lives speak, or it's very needed a healing touch or a helping hand or some very practical needs of of showing someone the kingdom of God, of bringing that in a very practical way. But there is a real need for words to actually be spoken. And I think sometimes we can cling to quotes like this out of fear, out of our own fear of not wanting to speak. Um, But we need sometimes to use our words to connect the dots with people. So we need to pray for boldness when the opportunity arises. And we need to pray for the eyes to see the opportunity. So we have to ask, where is God giving me opportunity to be bold in speaking the truth? We've got to together seek the Spirit's guidance in that. Um, And it's okay if sometimes we're afraid. You'd be amazed what God can do with our botched attempts. So don't not say anything out of fear, but say something just to practice even and see what God can do with that. And there's grace in that when we get it wrong. There's grace in that when, when we fumble our words. And hopefully you're in real relationship with these people you're talking to. So they're not going to like, like totally disregard you and smite you because you fumble over your words when you're talking to them. So I'd encourage you just to try it. And maybe have your small groups or your friends pray for you before, um, before you go into your workplace where you know there might be opportunity to, to speak boldly. Um, and finally, this is just... A real quick point, but it's a very, very, very important one. Missionaries are not responsible for the results. You are not responsible for results. Verse 32 says, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council, and some of the people became followers of Paul, followers of Jesus, and believed. Among them was Dionysius. I always get the pronunciation wrong. Um, He was a member of the Areopagus and also a woman named Damaris 
and a number of others. So I, like, I love the conclusion of Paul's time in Athens, of, the, of his speech, because everybody heard the same thing, but you get vastly different reactions, vastly different responses. Some sneered, totally blowing Paul off. Others didn't believe in Christ right then, but they wanted to know more. They're like, let's talk more. Let's just discuss this more. Um, and that's a, good, that's a good place to be. You could say a big amen, hallelujah for that. Um, but then others actually did believe. A few others, at least two of them are named. Um, and this just reminds me the spectrum of, of what could happen when you do share the truth. You, you never know what assumptions or what past experience different people bring to the table themselves. So some are just ready to write you off, and they, aren't, they weren't going to give you time of day anyways. Um, but the worst they can do is just be like, oh, that's no thanks, and walk away. Um, others, are, are their curiosity is stirred, and they want to engage more. And then there's others still who are ripe for the harvest, who are ready to hear the exact thing that you are saying. So you never, you never know where people are at. And I always think of the, the guy who is a member of the Areopagus who became a believer. Like that influential center of philosophy that kind of had such an influence on the whole rest of the city. Because he became a believer, the dynamic of that group, that council, is forever going to be different. There's no way he can't bring his, his new values, his new life into that, into those philosophies. So who knows the kind of influence further that that, has, that had on the city. And some of you are in that boat right now. You're like, okay, I've known how to be a missionary, and I've been trying and trying and trying, and I've been reaching out to my coworkers or my neighbors or my family member. Um, and you're just discouraged at this point because you're like toiling, 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 and not really seeing, seeing any fruit. Um, but be encouraged that, that you are not responsible for the results. The Lord of the universe is up to something in the world, and all that you can do is be faithful to speak when he asks you to speak. So keep at it. You are making a difference, even if you're not sure what. So there we have to ask ourselves, am I results motivated or obedience motivated? Because if we're in this frenzy of being results motivated and needing to see people come to know the Lord, we might write some people off far too quickly. Or we might be too afraid of what, what would they say, what if they don't respond, too afraid to even say something. But if we're obedience motivated, then we're just going to speak the things that the Spirit gives us to speak to people. Um, and it's up, to the, it's up to the Lord to, to stir in their hearts how they respond. Um, it's up to them to choose to respond. Um, but I really hope that we can be a people of obedience-motivated people, that, that if I speak a thing and nobody responds, I'm still faithful to the Lord. I'm still obedient to him. And that, that is good enough for me, and the Lord's going to do more with, with other people and other things I say in the future. So... Am I results motivated or obedience motivated? Missionaries are distressed by what they see. Missionaries engage with culture. Missionaries speak the truth. And missionaries are not in charge of the results. So maybe one of those is sticking out to you more than the others. 
Um, maybe there's one that God is saying, that's the one. Focus on that. That's what I want you to really pay attention to. And we can also begin talking, how can we help each other in this? How can we encourage each other, use our small groups as places of, of praying for each other and, and strategizing with each other as we go out into our various mission fields throughout the rest of the week? So my hope, there, and this is kind of a lot to think about, and some of it takes a lot of time to really think about or really notice things about the culture around us. But my hope is that this morning that we're left with with, with some fuel for thought, with some good things to keep pondering, keep wondering about um, and discussing, a springboard for discussing it with other people. How can we be like Paul in Athens to our city? So I want to have the worship team come on up. Um, yeah, and I just want to pray. And maybe, maybe after I pray, um, if there's, there's like just a few minutes or... One, one minute maybe, um, just to, to think about that. of like, Lord, what of these areas do I really need to hear and focus on? Or um, I think the most difficult is that number two is finding the touch points, the common ground in our culture, um, and then learning how to, to bridge the kingdom in, into that. Um, but how can we be like Paul in Athens to our city, to our family, to our workplace? Let me pray. Lord, we, we do desire, um, as a community, Lord, I, I see this community. We desire to be missionaries wherever we are at. We desire to support your work um, all throughout the world, Lord, but we also desire to reach people here in our neighborhood. Um, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes um, to see those opportunities, open our eyes to see the places where our culture here gets it right, and, the play, and that we would be distressed by the areas where our culture here um, really misses the mark, Lord. And I pray that you would give us boldness to speak into that. Um, and Lord, I pray for great trust, that we would trust you with the results, Lord, that it wouldn't be about us and how we look in speaking, um, but it would be about you um, and what you are speaking to other people, Lord. So I pray that you, you help our faith, help our boldness, um, and help us to trust you as we, as we reach out to those in our midst. Um, in your name we pray. Amen.